0: learn as much as you can about what has gone before you phil put a quote in his book from michael crichton it said if you don't know history you don't know anything you're like a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree And when I did teach the classes, I I showed them a lot of slides, a lot of work. Just go to the library, do research online and do your best on everything. be, Be strict with yourself, have high criteria for yourself.
1: I also think to be innovative. You can't be innovative if you don't really know, have a sense of what's happened in the past. You might just be mimicking ideas over and over again. So that's if a student wants to be original or innovative. I love Milton Glaser's advice that art is work. So get to work. Everyone get to work. We have a lot of work to do.
2: (laughs) On today's episode of the podcast, we have special guests Libby and Elizabeth Meggs. Libby Meggs earned a BFA in art and design from Virginia Commonwealth University. She worked as an advertising art director and assisted in the proofing and editing of Meggs' history of graphic design, then went on to become a freelance graphic designer and illustrator. From childhood, Libby made up stories and illustrated them for her own amusement, finally seeing her dreams become real with the publication of Go Home, the true story of James the Cat. Libby currently lives in Virginia where her family, cats, and flowers keep her busy when she is not writing or drawing. Elizabeth Meggs is a Brooklyn-based artist, illustrator, writer, and designer whose ongoing work includes paintings, photography, imagery for children, and handbound artist books. She graduated with a BFA from Virginia Commonwealth University and received her MFA in painting from Pratt Institute. She has worked as a graphic designer at Hearst Victoria Magazine and as a writer at the Los Angeles Daily News. Elizabeth has numerous awards and honors in fine art, design, and writing. She has taught courses as faculty with Virginia Commonwealth University, Pratt Institute, and New York City College of Technology. Mandy and I have a great discussion with Libby and Elizabeth, and we're glad that you could join us on this episode of Design Dedux. Welcome to another episode of a Design Dedux podcast. And today we have with us some great guests. Uh, Mandy's back with me also as my co-host, my partner in crime, my, uh, I forgot what I called it the other, the other episode, but uh, my, partner in, my partner in episodes, I don't know. <laughs> um, also today we have with us Libby Megs and Elizabeth Megs, and we couldn't be more excited, more honored to have the two of you with us um, to talk about women in graphic design And the history of women in graphic design. So it's so fantastic to have both of you with us today. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to start off with a with a quick question for for both of you. Whoever wants to go first, you guys can do rock paper scissors uh, (laughs) and and pick. A little brief background on on both of you.
0: Okay, since I'm older, I'll start.
2: (laughs) Um, Sounds good.
0: I um, grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and then went to. Richmond Professional Institute, uh, which is now Virginia Commonwealth University. Oh, um, okay. I had the highest grade point average in my department. So, a, a young agency that had just begun sent me a postcard and and asked me to come in for an interview. They had contacted the school about what students were good. So I was the oh. first hired employee of Martin and Waltz Advertising which became later the Martin agency, which became the largest advertising agency in the Southeast, maybe in the country. I don't know. I think in the Southeast. So I worked as a graphic designer and art director. And at first, because it was such a small group, had to work with everything. I had to write, take photographs, design Back in those days, we did paste-ups, do my own illustrations and so on. And then um, was lucky enough to work on the, in 1969, the landmark ad campaign of Virginia is for Lovers. And I was the one who put the heart into Virginia is for Lovers design. And that campaign has won um, a star on the Madison Avenue Walk of Fame and is still going strong all over Virginia and other places. It's on license plates and signs yeah. all over Virginia. Um, you know,
2: I, I'm going to take a moment here to kind of, one, maybe date me, and I apologize if, if that is also like telltale of the times and, and how much time's gone by. Um, I was born in
0: 1968.
2: Okay. I know... That Virginia is for lovers campaign. That's how much impact that came, campaign had, and for how long it lasted. It's you know? still going because if if that was released when I was one years old, it's not like <laughs> I I seen a commercial at one and remembered it, you know. And you're it is a, still going. Yeah,
0: you're a baby. <laughs> um,
2: I, some that, days I that, wish I still felt that way.
0: Well, <laughs> you can. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, but it it was great fun and. um just fun to be in on the ground floor of that. And then
1: yeah, you were the original creative team on that. Yeah, we were.
0: And just it came about around a lunch table. And we just threw ideas back and forth. And I I had a lot of fun working on that campaign. I traveled around Virginia and took photographs, um, did illustrations. It, It was just one of the most fun things i ever worked on another campaign i worked on was a campaign for colonial williamsburg with norman rockwell
2: oh right i actually remember that as well
0: yeah and he was so nice he was i was 25 and he was 75 he was one of my heroes yes. i had i had saved his kellogg's cornflakes illustrations as a kid so Anyway, um, I worked on that. I worked on um, the Robotus in Coff family illustrations and mailers to pediatricians. Um, just, and after, after leaving the agency, I did freelance work for financial institutions and that involved writing and photographing and drawing. And after that, finally, got around to doing, writing and designing a children's book called Go Home, The True Story of James the Cat. It and was you, you,
1: illustr- you illustrated it too. I illustrated yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, the illustrations were very detailed and took 200 hours each. Yeah. But it, <laughs> wow. The book won four national awards. I remember
2: that book. Yeah. I yeah. James,
0: James lay on the drawings while I was working <laughs> on
2: them. Do so, you it, realize... Do you realize how much impact you've had on my life? <laughs> I, I'm just realizing this now. I'm like, oh, my well, gosh. I'll All the things looking, that I know of.
0: Looking for your check in the mail. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, it's already sent. It's on the way.
1: No, so I think, that, I think, I'm so glad. That's wonderful.
2: Thank you. You're welcome. Um,
1: and I think um, – like just knowing that you're you worked in the era of Mad Men the show I think is compelling. Right. Yeah. Like yeah.
0: I, I could not watch it. <laughs> Finally I did watch some episodes but it was it was very true to form. Um, <laughs> Good to know. Another thing I worked on is a book called Megs Making Graphic Design History and I worked with Rob Carter and his wife Sandy Wheeler. And we compiled, it took us three years, and we collected and compiled so much that my husband had done. He had written, we found 56 articles that had appeared in print magazine, for example. His graphic design work, these huge paintings that I have in my house that he had done. I have paintings that are six feet by eight feet that he did in graduate school. but we we it was a real labor of love and a wonderful book about him and presenting his work so i, I was I, it was wonderful to participate in that so anyway you've been busy <laughs> you do oh I good do. unfortunately
3: it is currently locked in my office on
0: campus <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh you'll find it
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i had a um a disaster with my house where there was mold and the house had to be torn out ceiling to floor and so so many of my books are still in boxes
1: but nothing was you know? damaged fortunately oh, yeah but her, oh, her her was fine yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but um the Uh, Speaking to having something locked uh, away in an office right now, um, back in March, I abandoned my art studio because it's like a 30-minute subway ride from where I live um, due to the coronavirus, COVID-19 situation. But um, just some quick background about me. I'm a practicing artist. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, my work has included a, primarily a painting investigation, non-representational oil, oil paintings for the past decade. But I also do photography, handbound artist books, um, illustration, writing. I love doing graphic design, if that comes along. Um, so I graduated summa cum laude with a BFA uh, in Communication Arts and Design from Virginia Commonwealth University, And then I received my master's degree in painting from Pratt Institute.
0: And Elizabeth, that's one of your paintings behind you. The background. It is. is, For those who can see
1: it. Um, and then I see some behind you, too, <laughs> in the shot. Yeah, um, saw, now, but,
0: these are Elizabeth's paintings,
1: too. Well, oh, a, beautiful. A, well, people can check check out the paintings on Instagram and Twitter, at, at Meg's Paintings. Um, and then my regular Instagram and Twitter are at Elizabeth Megs. So if anyone wants to actually see them, they can do that. But in addition to my serious art practice, I've worked as a graphic designer at Hearst Magazines, as a writer at the Los Angeles Daily News, which is not, it's not a tabloid like the New York Daily News, it's actually a community newspaper, Um, and also as an educator. So I've been on the faculty at Virginia Commonwealth University, Pratt Institute, and New York City College of Technology. So that's brief background on me, Um, you know, and I think definitely my parents' support and encouragement has made a big difference in all of that.
2: I was going to say two very successful backgrounds for sure. Right. It's amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, so you've given you. us both. Thank you. I so forgot you've us- to say I taught illustration for two years at VCU. Oh. So. That oh, that's was, cool. That was really neat. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, you've given us both your background in design. Um, can you tell us a little bit about any background that you may or may not have in specifically in, in design history?
0: Um.
1: Yeah, I can, I'll go first um, this okay. time. Um, so my involvement really in, includes having been a practitioner and an educator. Um, I think my art practice now certainly integrates my understanding and love for graphic design. Um, my teaching experience includes a decade of teaching history of graphic design classes at the college level. Um, so my origin story includes being born, um, while my parents were really deeply immersing themselves in collecting graphic ephemera, um, during research for the first edition of the book, A History of Graphic Design. Um, this was published in 1983 when I was five years old. So I think I'll, I'll let my mom speak more about her, her work as a serious graphic ephemera collector, um. But so this book, which was authored by my father, Philip B. Meggs, it was a pioneering effort by him. Um, no full attempt to chronicle this field, um, basically starting with the dawn of civilization up until contemporary times. Um, that that kind of effort had not yet been na- made. So Nicholas Pevznor, um He had chronicled 19th and 20th century history, but um, this was the first time um, someone had attempted to chronicle the whole thing. So basically, that's like a massive undertaking that was occurring right as I was born. Um, As soon as I could open my eyes, I was surrounded by things like modernist posters, wood-type posters, advertising journals like her blue balance u and lc chromolithography packages and more so just um, wow i remember above our kitchen table you know i was sitting in the high chair um, my parents had hung historic chromolithography packaging salon style above the table um, so this was wonderful i'm incredibly lucky uh, when i was 5 my favorite artists were from the pushpin group so most specifically, the work by Milton Glaser and Seymour Quast. And I was profoundly affected by their use of color. Their work still informs me today, to this day, every day. I think Milton Glaser's deep sense of humanity also significantly affected me. Um, and I think can't speak about him without acknowledging his very recent death less than two weeks ago. Um, just being a massive loss to the world. So Glazer's fine mind, his sensitivity to drawing and color, composition and concept, I think that may rarely be paralleled again. Um, so he's, Glazer's an artist I turn to again and again from his writing to his work. He famously said, art is work. I love that. love that statement. Um, and right, that statement right. is the title on, of one of his books. It also was engraved in the glass above his studio door. His optimism, his spirit of enthusiasm are inspiring. And he was a student of history in all forms. Um, He was really objective. He certainly championed women in art and design. But I think for him, the work itself was what mattered most. So he would be most interested in championing great work, whoever did it. And that's something my father instilled in me, too. He'd often express that the work itself is what matters the most, rather than other factors. and so having my mom be a freelance designer and illustrator while I was a child, she put me to work at the table next to her. <laughs> um, so this origin of being immersed in visual ephemera, historical research, and then my mom's practice, that pr- has proved invaluable. And I I recognize, really recognize the unique and wonderful situation that, into which I was thrust. <laughs> so I don't take it for granted. Um... Thanks mom.
3: Oh, <laughs> thank you, you, and, and, it was
1: a total and, and, <laughs> immersion, a total yeah. immersion. Yeah, and so uh, she I
0: think couldn't avoid it. <laughs> I think
1: my mom and my mom, you know, can speak about her being a graphic design collector and like her role I think inter- interacting with my dad as he was doing this work.
0: Yeah. Um, Elizabeth, it it was it was wonderful that you and your brother um were both involved and um, Elizabeth's brother has his own computer game company and he's he's very much involved in programming and very sensitive. One day when I was working on my children's book, he called and I said, he said, what have you been doing? I said, I spent a whole day drawing gravel in an aquarium and he said, that's funny. I spent a whole day programming gravel. <laughs>
2: so, oh wow! <laughs> um,
0: but Elizabeth, Elizabeth was just so involved as a child, and and just won all kinds of awards for her art, and and she was just fun and enthusiastic in sharing everything. Um,
1: well, what about but, your own, your own involvement, though, mom, in design and the history of design?
0: Well, I, I loved it. I loved graphic design, when I decided to go to Richmond Professional Institute, went and visited visited, and saw the student work on the walls, and it was as if I had finally found my soulmates. I, I wanted to do what they were doing. So, yes, I know that okay. feeling.
1: Then also, like I think people would love to hear about your collecting graphic design ephemera, and then like like your role with like interacting with Dad as he was doing his early research. Those are two things I would love to hear hear from you. That's
0: true. Well, I've collected for years. I've collected children's books forever. A big collection of children's books, but I've collected um, posters, chromolithographs. I have a, a big collection of Halloween postcards, um, a couple of witch hats. Um, I have real wood type in the, the type drawers. I have wood type, wood posters. type posters from the 1800s, um, the original printer's proofs. Oh, I have modernist posters, um, artist books by people like Warren Lear, um, Will Bradley, I have um, books from the Kelmscott Press by William Morris. Oh, and wow. I have a, something very different, a real big Coca-Cola sign, um, a knee-high orange drink clock, just all kinds.
1: Of, she also collects, she collects banana labels too, I have to throw <laughs> that out. <laughs> yeah. I
0: have a little book I've made of banana labels that are pretty That's, wonderful.
2: I bet, and, yeah. Uh,
0: Um, For a long time, I collected tins for various products, ginger and things like that, from the turn of the um, 20th century.
2: Um, it's funny you say that. I've got a few tins up on my shelf behind me, and a few over here. They're they're beautiful tins, <laughs> aren't, aren't they? they, they? Beautiful,
1: yeah. 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 And they have that great language of chromolithography that relates to the hand lettering of the chromolithography stone and all the decorative elements that the hand letterers were putting in. I love love those. I love yes, those.
0: Yes. Um I also um, I was a sounding board for my husband as he wrote. When, when he said that he was going to write his book, I said, well, are you going to limit it to a time, a place, or continent, what? And he said, no. <laughs> I thought he was insane, but right. he did it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
0: so I was a sounding board for him as he worked on the book. Wow. Um, his, his book is solely his creation. But I was there. I, to support and proofread and so on.
1: And I think but that's it, something women do a lot. A lot of times, you know, you've heard that it's sort of a clichéd saying, but behind every great man is a great woman. So I, I would say yeah. that's true in this
2: that, case. But he, that he, has he come was, up that, that that has come up several times in our podcast interviews so far on this topic, so.
1: Like women support, being supportive, but, yeah. When
0: I yeah. worked on my, my book or, or some freelance projects, he would take over cooking and cleaning up the kitchen, we, we supported each other. Um, so that, that's just how it was. Um,
2: that's awesome. That's
0: wonderful. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, I think I, so our original plan was to interview you, uh, both of you in New York, um, and, and have a discussion there as we were getting ready to film for the the, the short teaser uh, for the for the film as well as some content for the feature film. But now as I'm hearing you talk, I think we need to go to both locations. I think we need to come down and see Libby and, mm-hmm. and really get, like, immersed in all of the wonderful things that you have. Oh, my goodness. Right,
3: right. Yeah. I,
2: I, I think I'm planning that already. I think I'm, <laughs> Please, we might we show up.
3: When
0: we can safely go. When we
2: can. Yeah. 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 That we, would be we wonderful. Might. We might be showing up at your doorstep there's a good chance. hey, what about other projects that you guys have been involved with other roles with women in the arts or design is there is there other projects that you guys have been involved with
0: i i've um i've sort my role has been more as a mentor um elizabeth and a niece, and then when i had assistants at work, they were very smart young women that I wanted to see advance, not just be somebody doing mechanical art for me. Um, And when I taught, I had one student who um, was clearly very, very gifted, but she wasn't doing her best and probably gave her the first C she'd ever made. And I think Ah. she cried, but she, Stepped up, and she she became a, just a wonderful illustrator. She lives in Sweden now,
2: but oh, wow. That's just great.
0: Um, comparable to Carl Larson almost. And when,
1: when mom says, is a mentor too," I remember my cousin when she was in college. She came and she worked on designing a book at, with us one summer, and like so, mom really took her in and mentored, acted as a support system for her.
0: So it was wonderful. I, I've I've been lucky to have. Really smart, sweet, talented young women in my uh-huh. life.
2: Let me let me ask you a people, quick question, if if I can interject here really quickly. Sorry. Oh uh, no. no you,
3: please.
2: You you mentioned something uh, really important about mentoring um, these young women and getting them beyond the production kind of role. Did you see a lot of women in the production role that were like kind of in the trenches? doing a lot of the work that just maybe didn't get the notoriety perhaps while you were working in the, in the agency professional world?
0: No, there weren't that many women. I, I worked in a room with two men and it was just nice that I had young women as my assistants. Um, I did have one young man who didn't work very hard, <laughs> so, but um, it I, there really weren't that many I was. I, I was the only female art director there in the wow. agency. There weren't that many around in the sixties right. and early seventies. Right. It's That's too bad. Yeah. But yeah. I, really I, people... think, I think the president of the Martin agency now is a woman.
3: Oh, so, wonderful. Yay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think
0: people often downplay the value and
3: importance of of mentoring, but it it really is truly important work. Really just is. instilling
1: confidence, I think, to know that um, you have someone who supports you totally has made all the difference for me. So in terms of specific projects, I don't mean to dive in if mom wasn't okay, fit. I'm through. Um, specifically, a few things I've done that promote the roles of women in art and design, and I definitely wouldn't have been confident enough to do these things without someone like my mom having my back. Um I launched a petition uh, last year challenging the Morgan Library and Museum over the fact that their exhibition lineup for 2019 included solo shows only by white men. So I launched this. But yeah, it's kind of shocking. Like they put out their exhibition lineup and it's like, wait, only white men the whole year. And so I launched a petition and somehow it struck a nerve on Twitter. It got picked up through social media And then it ended up being covered by Art Forum and Art News, Hyperallergic, and more publications like that. So I felt like um, it had... The Morgan definitely was aware of the petition, I'll say. Um, And I think to to that end, institutions really have so much power, like museums, galleries, publications, publishing houses... They really all have power to determine who or what receives that institutional credibility that really filters into all aspects of life for women. So, for example, if an artist is given a solo show at the Museum of Modern Art, that artist will undoubtedly sell work for much more money and receive many opportunities following that. So I believe that as women are becoming highly educated and entering more leadership roles, and men are also becoming more equitable, hopefully this will help shift those institutional inequities toward a more fair future. Now, it's still pretty shocking. Like the statistics today, currently 87% of the works in major museum collections are by men, and that's 85% by white men. And that's from a study in 2018 um, the pay gap is huge between top male and female artists. Um, it's like $5 billion. Of course, it would be though, because if museums are telling everyone, like the Morgan Library has been, um, that art by men is the most valuable, of course, people will spend more money. So that affects, that ends up affecting women economically. And um, those are some rather shocking statistics from the fine art world. Um, but undoubtedly, those would align with the situation in other creative fields like graphic design. If anyone wants to take a look at those, the National Museum of Women in the Arts has really great sourced information on their website, so that's just National Museum of Women in the Arts for anyone who's interested. Um, I'm not as aware of similar studies that exist regarding inequities for female graphic designers. Undoubtedly, those are being launched, but um, I'm not really aware of those yet. So acknowledging all of this, I think women have more power than ever to have strong voices challenging these inequities. So that's what I did with the Morgan Library petition. Um, I think with the internet and social media, people whose voices have been maybe more suppressed or overlooked in the past can easily be spread. So all of these heightened avenues to communication have a profound effect. Um, We're already seeing changes with things like Black Lives Matter, Freedom to Marry, um, the Me Too movement, all of these things, I think, coalescing just as people have an ability to have a stronger voice through communication. I think it's really exciting. Um, How
0: how many signatures did you get on the petition? Ultimately,
1: I I think I think initially it was a thousand. And when it was covered with places like art news um oh, wow. so That's remarkable. but i think i think yeah. we all need to be willing to challenge inequity in a public manner and i think don't be afraid and i think there you need to have confidence in doing that and so i would credit my mom with you know making me feel confident enough to launch a petition like that um beyond the petition i always make a strong effort to champion women artists and designers that i know personally i'm um, also students that i have had too um and I think one thing to make a comment on is I don't really think um, pettiness or envy or jealousy are are a good thing to interact with. I think this world really has enough room for everyone. Um, so when one woman does well, it's great for all women. Um, right. So I think women being real sources of support and advocacy for one another is critical. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the success of any woman in any field. But again, I want to say I always encourage my male friends or partners or colleagues like, hey, include women. Um, you know, men can certainly be positive sources of support. And I, I think a lot of men are embracing attitudes of equity. So I think that's wonderful. Um, in my creative practice, I've had a chance to participate in some art exhibits um, that benefit women artists. For example, at AIR Gallery, um, this was the first non-profit Artist directed and maintained gallery for women artists in the United States. So there are a lot of ways we can all all contribute and um, make a difference. So it's all very exciting, I think.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic, and that that kind of answers a lot of like what Mandy's question uh, that she had lined up next. But uh, if there's any I was, more, I was going to Mandy... suggest you
3: just go ahead and jump right into your yeah. question about gender disparity because I think it dovetails nicely.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. Elizabeth, the, so thorough. So great to hear all that information. <laughs> so that then does lead me into gender disparity, right? And how that – you talked a little bit about that, right, in that um, exhibit that you had the petition for.
1: Yeah, like institutional disparity being yeah. a, big, a powerful so, force.
2: So between between the both of you, uh, maybe Libby can uh, talk to it first, Um what did you see in that gender disparity and how is it, has it shifted? You I know? hope
0: it has shifted. Um, once there was an episode in which I was introduced to a client and the ads I had done for that client had been very successful. And the client re- remarked, give, give that young woman a raise and the response from the person who had introduced me to the client said, "Why would you need a raise? You're just a girl, just out oh, of school." Oh my goodness! So Yikes. I jokingly said, "Please give me the word. I got the raise," <laughs> but but that remark has I remember it right. <laughs> yeah. It's ingrained. Years, yeah. And then in in that age, just the the feelings toward women. I um, I didn't learn to drive until I was 25. I just was scared. <laughs> so anyway, I, but I bought a 1968 red Mustang convertible
2: Ooh, very and
1: nice. learned
0: to drive on that. But I couldn't get the the I couldn't buy it unless my husband unless we put it in my husband's name, because I was a woman, and they thought that I might get pregnant and not be able to handle the loan. So, so that
3: was from like the people who were loaning you the money. Yeah, yes. the,
0: the car loan. So the car loan. So we had to buy the car in my husband's name, which he later. I made all the payments from my little payment book, and um, we later put the car in both our names. And then when he passed, it's in my name now. It's in the garage. So, um, um, but anyway, well, um, you know,
2: that, I'll just say were, that. That any anyone that's listening to the podcast needs to jump over and watch the video version of the podcast either on my website or YouTube, because I just had the biggest, like, confused, blank, oh my god, expression on my face. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. That that like my heart is actually like sore to hear that.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, it was ridiculous. It, it was so.
1: Yeah, but that's who it was. Well, and also, mom's mother was born before women were allowed to vote. Yeah, that's it. So, and we're not that old. <laughs> Mom and no. I aren't that old, too. So.
0: Oh, but she was born in 1912. But so. she she was um, she wanted us to be independent. She had five children; three died. But, um, but so. two, two brothers and a sister. But she raised my sister and me just with a mind to our being capable of being independent. But there was her mindset, and it it made it difficult. She said, have your career, but put your family first. So, okay, mother, (laughs) you know,
1: I'll try. And also, like, stories you've told me, um, she went from being this fearless little girl who would, like, walk on the railings of a railroad bridge while a train was passing underneath. But then by the time she was an adult, she was too afraid to leave a New York City hotel room without her husband. So you have to wonder, like, how does society, what kind of world does that to people? Takes someone who's that fearless and makes them become afraid and not feel independent. Um, in terms of like graphic design too. um, I kind of think just being a serious practicing artist or being an art director as a woman, that's almost a feminist statement in itself. You know, it's almost like it doesn't matter if my work is terrible, the fact that I'm part of it and leading a lifetime producing artwork as a woman, um, that contributes to a more equitable culture. So um, yeah. but in terms of how it's changed, like from when you were starting out, like what, what would you say looks different about my experience compared to yours?
0: Oh, Elizabeth, just watch Mad Men.
1: <laughs> just, <laughs> um,
0: I I hope it's different from mine. I, I was lucky to have a supportive husband. I was lucky to have to work for a creative director who was totally supportive of women. and. Um, but I don't think it was that way for everybody. So Right,
2: good point, good point, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I definitely was in undergrad. I was surrounded by mostly male faculty and male students. Um, so was I. The communication arts department. So. Um, oh,
0: I have to yeah. add something. When I went to talk to the department chairman at, at RPI um, wanting to enroll He sat back with his pipe and he said, well, you can come to the school if you want to, but most of the girls just marry the boys. So years later at his retirement party, I took a present for him of my children's book and said, here's this. Look, you know, I've published a children's book. And he, he glanced at it and said, yeah, but you still just married one of the boys.
2: Oh, boy. Um, that's so right. sorry.
0: Through to people like
3: that. Right. Yeah.
2: So
1: those wow. anecdotes, like I definitely haven't experienced that overt of a statement before. Yeah. So, See, I that's mean, what he, I'm curious yeah.
2: about, too. Has this is water. It, has, <laughs> has, you know, that's what I'm curious about, too. So, Elizabeth, ha, you know, have you still experienced some of those same kind of attitudes?
1: I mean, uh, certainly in some individuals, but I think for me, I try to differentiate um, the individual from everyone. So it's, you know, maybe nowadays it might be easier for me to feel like, well, that's that one person, but I know plenty of people, male and female, who don't harbor those attitudes. So maybe the perspective, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think um, just uh, the differences, I think also like... um, we have to say in the ma- in recent years just in the past 5 years there's been a major reckoning going on I think ab- about graphic design history and like disparities that exist I think people are really questioning like what museums show questioning the historical canonical works like established textbooks so I think, you know, that's something that's that's been going on. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next decade or so. And speaking to that, um Mom and I are excited because we've been in touch with the uh revisers of the upcoming edition of Meg's History of Graphic Design, and they're really making sure the new edition, the 7th edition will be as inclusive as possible. So I think I think people will be excited to see that, and I think if my dad were alive, he certainly would have to be contending with the reckoning everyone's facing. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, yeah. we need to, we've left a lot of people out. So I think that that's um, something. That I I guess relative to gender disparity in graphic design, I'm optimistic about shifts that I see see yeah. coming soon. Yeah. So. Wh- that's when's great that, news.
2: When's yeah. that edition supposed to be released? Do you do you know yet? They,
1: they said t-
0: 2023. I've been involved oh, wow. with the revisions. Um, Phil did three editions, and then he died. And um, but I've been happy with the revisions that I've worked with the revisers, and even with the production of the book. The last edition ran into some serious problems with binding and pages stuck together. Oh boy! And I, I, they sent me. 25 copies, and there was something wrong with every one, oh, no. I sent them back to the president. <laughs> I had somebody help me take them to the post office, and I delineated. I went through every copy and photographed the errors. Wow. And so wow. they they had to scratch that printing and redo the book.
3: Well,
2: yeah. I tell you, that's my favorite cover so far. And the last um, one. The last yeah. one, yeah. yeah. And I really I love the that. um um the cardboard and the fabric that was used on the on the hardcover of, yeah. of that one. So,
1: so I, think, I, I think I think everyone will be excited to see some of the changes that will be happening. So and I think yeah. um, you know, I definitely would question my dad, like, why aren't there more women and things like that, you know? And um he would articulate uh and this might speak to um What you you guys might want to discuss a little bit more in a few minutes. Um, So uh, speak to criteria that one uses when um, curating something like a graphic design history. So um, he would talk about how a lot of times uh, the biases of an era might be where the bias lies rather than the bias of the historian. So, um, you know, for example, we could take the year 1450, It's indisputable that Gutenberg's development of movable typography really is the big historically significant um, thing that happened in that year. And he was a European man. Um, And so would it make sense for a designer to try and include a woman instead of Gutenberg just for the sake of being inclusive? Of course not. So I think um, what my dad talked about is that influence would be a key criteria he used if a work was influential and affected the path of things historically, that would be something. So just this very clear objective criteria. And I think I think a lot of times it is, hey, in 1450, women were not working as typographic printers. Um, so, you know, that's something something to consider <laughs> like yeah. it's not that, leaving women out when you talk about the year 1450 doesn't necessarily mean the historian is biased it's just the that era was super biased so right, right right good point right
3: so um i think that i'm going to ask libby very specifically a question um because you mentioned how lucky you were that you were you had a supportive husband who helped you as you maintained your career so I do want to ask you just a little bit about the expectations of of women who had careers and and how um, you know historically women have managed this work life balance and or not you know.
0: Well, Amanda, gosh, um, it it was hard even even with help because I had a sister who was a dynamo and. She taught school, she got out every day at four o'clock or got home and she was six years older and just was a perfectionist. And my parents saw her as that and I I saw that as something I had to live up to too. So it it was not easy even with with my husband being supportive. I, I felt that I had to be a wonderful cook and housekeeper and everything had to be spotless so that it was really hard and the and the fact that my mother said you know have your career but put your family first right that's that's asking an awful lot so
3: the um, idea of perfectionism do you think that that still carries on today elizabeth
1: oh i do and i think there's just a huge imbalance in terms of who bears the burden of being a caregiver not just for children but elderly relatives women overwhelmingly take that on um in terms of addressing it, I think now that women are getting um, equivalent educations or even higher level advanced degree educations um, and have equivalent careers with men, I think these responsibilities do need to be shared more equitably. So I think it's also just personally advocating for oneself when you're in a relationship, get your partner on board. Um, I think leadership positions like... um, People can promote changes in the workplace, uh, treating this kind of thing as business policies. So dealing with things like paid family and medical leave, yes. um, paid sick days, maybe some workplace flexibility, affordable childcare, all of those issues would be things I think that relate to this. I think women do take a hit if they take time off from work to be a caregiver, so that's something businesses can address too. Um, I think communication, dialogue about these issues, um, when women run their own businesses, a lot of times they do address these things more significantly. Um, I think women take a pay gap uh, hit. You know, they earn a lifelong pay gap when they take time off and sort of take steps back in their career to be a caregiver. So I'm I'm all for just saying, hey, hey men, let's you know women can advocate for themselves and their relationships too. So I think
0: the that's reason something- I left the agency was that my mother had bone cancer and I went home to take care of her. Yeah. Um, um,
3: yeah.
0: And yeah. I at that time just having a leave of absence wasn't even brought up. I just right. left. Yeah. And yeah. I liked working there, but that that was a big priority, and that's talking about becoming a caregiver. It was um, not easy. But when I went back, came back after she passed away, I took some time to just sort of recover, but then started doing freelance work. and because of the reputation of the agency, I had no trouble. I didn't have to seek freelance work. They came to me. Oh, that's great. Um, but, but in that day and age, some some men would call me in to show my portfolio, and they barely looked at it, but they would make a pass at this young married woman. Oh, so, boy. Yeah, the, yeah. It existed in those days. Wow. So. Yeah. wow.
2: Uh, I mean, some of the things that we're talking about here, um, like the the dismissal of women in certain professions but inclusion in other professions like it's acceptable for a woman to be sewing or whatever you know those stereotypes and for centuries and centuries this has kind of been the way it is and it it is slowly changing slowly um and you know who knows what it's going to take but any any ideas on why why it's just been dismissed or, um, and, and it's strange for me because I've always been a completely inclusive uh, person, gender, racial, none of that matters. I, I mean, I, may lo- I look at people as people and individuals and how interesting and uh, special everyone is in their own, in their own right. And that's what draws me to people. But, um, you know, that's not the view of, 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 everyone you know otherwise we wouldn't be having this discussion any any insight or like what are your thoughts on it because I'm I literally think about it I'm like why why is why was it like this why is it like this why is it still going to be like this it's just confusing
1: why yeah that's the million dollar question (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like hard to understand why why because I mean I feel like there's enough room for everyone and I think you know adding including people creates this rich and diverse culture so yeah that is a question I grapple with I've even asked my mom like you know why like when I was uh, researching Beatrix Potter she was sort of rejected from the science community she was doing all this research into mushrooms and fungus but then she wasn't allowed to present her work to the science academy at the time. So she just kind of gave up and went into children's books. But I'm like, I said to my mom, why? You know, like, why, why wouldn't they want her to present this work she was doing? So just like this, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I wish no. I knew. <laughs> well,
2: I don't, I don't feel so bad then that I'm not alone <laughs> in that kind of, like, wh- wh- what's going on? You know, it's, it's very strange. And do
3: you do you think that it's like some aspects of you know like letterpress and uh, graphic design work, commercial art or anything? Do you think there's been like some historical gendering of of those careers? Like women don't belong in letterpress because things are metal and hot or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's
1: like a trade. Yeah, That's I think so there funny. were very few women linotype operators. um So you look at a photo of like the New York Times linotype machines and I think you might see one woman. Yeah, I think definitely those attitudes about the I've trace. Never seen a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're. That's absolutely right. Just sort of gender stereotypes, and I do think education um, changes in education uh, make a big difference. So you know, once women have the education and they're trained. To do certain things, um, it's kind of indisputable that they're qualified. So I'm always a big advocate for education for women, and I think as young men too are in classes with the women, who are, young women who are um, well, not always young, but with women, seeing that they're um, just as smart and working just as hard, I think that will do a lot to shift attitudes too. So right. I'm yeah. very optimistic about the future. <laughs> right, Mandy yeah. and I have had a
2: lot of yeah. a lot of discussions on how the students in our classes in, in our programs have changed. And, you know, I, I would throw a number out quickly saying that probably 70 to 80 percent of our students are women now, uh, oh. and they're remarkably talented um, designers, young designers. So it's going to be really exciting um, to see how that rolls into the next decade uh, and so forth. And perhaps seeing more women leaders in design, running agencies, being entrepreneurs uh, and so forth. And with that in mind, do you guys have any suggestions perhaps that could lead to advancing this, this gender uh, disparity issue and equity and what's going on?
0: I think salary transparency. I had no idea what, what other people were earning when I worked at the agency. And when I did freelance work, I did about a third of the amount of work, but earned twice as much. Um, so it, it was interesting. Um, it's, I wish I had known what, what other people, what the men in the agency were earning. Right.
1: Yeah, that's a big, that's really important.
2: Yeah, I, think I wonder if there's data on that. Something to look into. Probably
0: now, yeah. 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 I could probably have, if I'd had the internet then, I would have looked it up. Right.
1: Yeah, I think like institutional efforts to be more equitable will make a big difference. Um, And I think the public can demand this, you know, calling out rampant inequity. I definitely think the trend of women achieving more levels of higher education is going to make a huge difference. It's inevitable that it will. So. Um, You know, and it it becomes increasingly absurd to uh, disparage or discredit women who have advanced degrees. Um, And I, I think women shouldn't be afraid to pursue positions of leadership. So champion, advocate for equality. Don't be afraid to speak out. Then another thing I think every individual has the power to do, just as an individual, um, is make great work. So right. I mean, if you make great work that's indisputably great, um, I think a lot of those those things can fall away. You know, if it's undeniably great work. So yeah, make great work.
2: <laughs> there you go.
3: Well, so what though-
2: about? Oh, go ahead.
3: No, go ahead. I was just going to ask, you know, we kind of been talking about the role of education and everything and changing perceptions, but what about the the role of graphic designers? How can their role in determining public opinion towards women?
1: That's huge, especially I think with advertising um, in terms of how women are perceived, like the advertising industry creates um, pretty unrealistic ideals of beauty and and status symbols and things like that. And I think, I think mom, even we were talking about it recently, how a lot of advertising has changed to, um, I think, be sort of more friendly to women in the past few years, maybe less objectifying women and presenting these really unrealistic um, uh, standards for women. So I think graphic designers, (laughs) yeah, I think graphic designers shouldn't discount the real power they have in terms of um, how they present women. Right, Another the power thing of is
0: demands that people make in in their job situation, since women do mostly share more of the home responsibilities with the housekeeping and cooking and children, there there are good things that I've seen happening, like job sharing, um, facilities on site for child care, um, more time as as maternity leave and paternity leave, yes. things like that, that, right. that would help women. I and, read and somewhere
3: that Iceland, I think it was, has, um, has a national maternity and paternity leave and they have the smallest gender pay gap of any nation.
0: Good for them. When can we
3: move? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, so we're um, really looking forward to um, having further discussions on this when we start uh, getting back to filming uh, for the documentary film and we get to sit down with you both more. Uh, specifically, though, uh, Mandy, I think, has a great question on, like, the content for the film.
3: Right. So, you know, we're we're using this as a lot of um, background research for the film, and we're asking essentially everyone that we talk to, Um, what topics would you like to see addressed in a documentary film about women in graphic design history? Because we are wanting to create a documentary film that you would be interested in watching and that you think is relevant and valuable. So again, uh, what topics would you like to see addressed in this film?
0: Elizabeth, you go first.
1: Okay, um, I'd certainly like to see more inclusion of work by individuals who've been underrepresented and then an explication of the biases of past eras. So really talk about what it was like for women in past eras. Um, Contextualization is a powerful tool, Um, even contextualizing contemporary work by women with work from past eras, even if it's not by women, but just to sort of put things in a context context relevant to today. Um, I think relevant issues, a lot of things we've talked about today, uh, like institutional power, um, just further research into underrepresented women. There are probably a lot of women that no one's ever heard of before, um, who did amazing work. I think reassessment of the canons, the historical canons, like history textbooks, that certainly needs to happen and will be happening, so just a sort of a overall objective assessment of, like, right. everything that we've all sort of been used to or th- things that are established, um, a real critical, critical look at those things, questioning things. Um, yeah. How about you, uh, Mom?
0: That pretty much, I would echo what you're saying. I would love to see more in-depth history about about the women like Ann Glover who had started Whose husband died on the ship coming over, who started her own printing press. I'd like to know more about these women.
1: Yeah, just expanding the underrepresented stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
2: okay.
0: Pretty much. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm I'm thinking to myself like that's you know that's not going to be an easy undertaking, but if (laughs) but if but if Philip Meggs was able to produce um, such a wonderful document then I should be able to at least get some research in that area for sure. Hey, Peter,
0: he he um while he wrote the book, he was yeah. chairman of his department and, at PCU and he, he got up at five every morning and worked on the book on a typewriter.
2: Oh boy. Oh, and
0: yeah. um and then would go in and teach and chair the department all day, five days a week, come home, have supper go back upstairs to work, and then come down, help with bath time and story time with Andrew and Elizabeth, and then go back up to work until I made so, him
1: stop.
2: That <laughs> is so special. is think, so special. Um,
1: and he didn't have an assistant, so he was writing all the reproduction permissions on the typewriter too. Oh, the, the, but, oh
0: my
2: goodness. The but permissions I say, were horrible.
1: I have to say, I've always told my students in the past, like, He did it one sentence at a time and one paragraph at a time. So that becomes less overwhelming when you think about it, one thing at a time. Like if you thought about every plate of food you had to eat for the rest (laughs) of your life, it would just be like a warehouse full of plates of food and you wouldn't even want to eat anything. So. It's just like that one thing at a time, I think, helps. Yeah. And I think that in terms of working toward gender equity, you know, small steps make a difference one thing at a time. You know, every time a young woman becomes a graphic designer, that's a step in a great direction. So I think, Yeah. You yeah. Know. but
0: Peter, I want to add that he, um, it took him two years to do that. And I think that's pretty fast for what yeah. he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would say so
2: very too. very fast.
1: Yeah. Summers went... off though. Summers off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that makes it even no. faster. If he well, chair of the
1: department, yeah. he might not have had summers off. Right? He he got a sabbatical though, like a he I did. think it was one. Was it one semester? One semester, one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, one or one year. Was and he semesters? did he
0: did have the summers off. So, um, yeah. Just one remarkable. summer One summer day, he he said, "I'm going to leave you here to proofread the book while I take the children to a movie," and. <laughs> When he did that, I heard the cats outside killing birds, and I had to go rescue the the birds. Climbed oh, up in a tree, stuck a branch in my eye, and when he got home, I had a bandaged eye, and I hadn't done the proofreading. So,
2: oh you my know, goodness!
0: So much for summers. <laughs> Just...
2: That's an excellent story. You know, I I won't be able to pick up that text again without remembering our discussions for sure.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, one we're thing timed out.
2: Yeah. One thing before I forget though, before we let you guys go, what about problems or issues or things we need to be aware of or concerned about that we have to watch out for?
1: I mean, I guess I think about inclusivity for inclusivity's sake is something to be careful about. So I think if including work, a question is, are you are you including this work simply because someone is a woman or is it because it has merits of its own? So that's just... It's certainly important to want to be more inclusive, in my opinion. But I think just really having a critical assessment on motivations behind it, that's something I would caution. About. Totally
0: agree. Yeah. That's
2: excellent advice. Yeah. Uh, Mandy, do you have anything else?
3: Um, well, uh, I think that I'll just, again, end up with your the question you like to ask all of your, your Oh, yes, please, interviewees. please do. Yes. Do you, do either of you or both of you have any last advice for um, students who might be listening? Yeah,
2: students, podcast? students, professionals. Uh, yeah. Oh.
1: Well, I love I love Milton Glaser's I advice that art is work. So get to work. Everyone get to work. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. <laughs>
0: well, learn as much as you can about what has gone before you. Yeah. And... I, I tried to, sh- when I did teach the classes, I, I showed them a lot of slides, a lot of work. Just go to the library, do research online, and do your best on everything. Be, be <laughs> strict excellent. with yourself. Have high criteria for yourself.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I am I might put you on the spot here, Libby. Um, I, I say that same thing to all of my students in the class. It's like, you need to know this stuff. It's so important to you. Right. Yes, uh, yes. Let me ask you to answer the question my students ask me. Why?
0: <laughs> oh,
2: told you I would put you well, on the spot. <laughs>
0: no, Phil, Phil put a quote in his book from Michael Crichton. who It said, if you don't know history, you don't know anything. You're like a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree.
2: That's beautiful.
1: I also so. think to be innovative, you can't be innovative if you don't really know, have a sense of what's happened in the past. You might just right. be mimicking ideas over and over again. So that's if a student exactly. wants to be original or innovative, too. That's right. a
0: great point.
1: Yeah.
2: That's fantastic. Well, this has been
3: a great conversation. I thank you so, so much, both of you, for your time. Oh, thank this was you, a lot Mandy. of fun, and
1: we're yeah. so excited about all the work that both of you are doing. Just can't wait. Can't wait for the documentary. And I think it's just critical. Thank you both so much.
2: Well, we
0: appreciate that. Thrilled. Thank you for including us. And we look forward to
3: talking to you again when we do actually get to start filming the documentary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That will be wonderful.
3: Thank you.
2: Looking forward to it. You're welcome very much. Uh, I I couldn't have had a more enjoyable uh, hour or so than what we just had. So um, I hope we can reach out and and. Keep our communication open and maybe even have some more time to chat. Um, with some different meetings in the future. Oh,
1: before. that would be wonderful! Yeah, we need to go Thank out to you. dinner together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds great.
0: Yeah. I, I, I used to go to New York pretty often, so.
2: All right, we're looking forward to it very much. So, well, Thank you. thanks for joining us on the on this episode of the podcast. And uh, my my slogan, and I'll um, say it today because it's more fitting than ever. Let's keep creating success in design education. Yeah, that's Yay. great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Th- you. Thank you. All thank, right. you. thank you. Success. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Peter. Bye. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com. Where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Deducts podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deducts on Facebook as Design Deducts Podcast, and join us on YouTube at Design Deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore dedux. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.